Welcome to the Deerfield Family Theater Podcast. As part of our special guest series, I had the privilege and honor to speak with Kate Baldwin, the Tony-nominated actor who also played Sandra Bloom in Broadway's production of Big Fish. Speaking of Big Fish, in case you're tuning in and didn't already know, DFT is putting on a performance of Big Fish this November of 2022. Opening night is this Friday, November 11th, and that show's already sold out. So visit DeerfieldTheater.com to purchase tickets for one of the other five performances over this weekend and the next one. Without further delay, here's the interview. We're fortunate here on the DFT podcast to have had the co-creators of Schoolhouse Rock Live and the mayor of Deerfield, but I'm thrilled to have with me for today's episode our very first Tony-nominated guest, and separately impressive, the first guest with her own Wikipedia page. We're happy to have you, and welcome to the show, Kate Baldwin. (laughs) I do have my own Wikipedia page. I wish I had control over my Wikipedia page, uh, but that's maybe a a story for another podcast. I don't know. (laughs) Nice to see you, Matt. Yes, yeah, so nice to meet you. So, uh, thank, thanks for uh, for coming here. You have an interesting connection with the Deerfield Family Theater Board, uh, in that one of you, one of our board members was your sorority sister, which is that's exciting. right. Yes. So, so, you know, tell us a little bit about that, like where you went to school and sure. and how you got involved in uh, in musical theater. Well, yeah, I went to uh, Northwestern University and I studied theater there, and I pledged a sorority, which also uh, was the home uh, away from home for Marcy Medwed. Um, and now she reached out to me about this podcast and, and told me that, uh, there was a production of big fish that was planned, um, and said it would be, a, an extra special, um, thing if, if I would come in and talk about big fish a little bit. And I said that I'm happy to do so because that was one of my favorite experiences of the other shows that I've done, the Broadway shows that I've done. Um, I, uh, I'm from the Midwest as well. I was born in Evanston but I grew up in uh, a suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, ended up at Northwestern studying theater. Uh, and also lived in Chicago for two years right after graduation, working at the Marriott Lincolnshire Theater. That's where I got my equity card. Did five shows there and uh, moved to New York City in uh, 1999. And I've been here ever since. And I've done uh, a 25 years worth of uh, regional and Broadway and off-Broadway work. Um, and well, I, with the exception of last year, obviously when nobody was doing, um, live performance, uh, but it's been a, it's been a fabulous time. Um, but, but I'm thrilled to be here with you today to discuss uh, one of my favorite experiences, Big Fish. Oh my gosh. Yes. And we will get to Big Fish and, and outside of just musical theater, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So when mm. it originally came to the stage, I did go see it in Chicago. Uh, of course, I not, now wishing that, that I'm interviewing you here. I wish I would have seen you bring, you know, performing on Broadway. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but I did see it when it came out as a musical, and I was I was thrilled, and I had a lot of fun with it. it was seeing the songs, you know, as I left the theater, it was that oh, much good. fun. Yeah, yeah. But but we but we will get back to that. But first, let's let's learn more about you, Kate. So, like, what was it? Was it when you were young? Was it when you had to pick a major in college? Like, what made you want to pursue this career? Well, honestly, uh, storytelling was something that I'd always done. Uh, I was one of those kids who would gather the um, neighborhood school kids and put on a show in my backyard or in the basement or if uh, family got together at Thanksgiving time or for any sort of holiday I'd wrangle everybody and make them put on a costume and and tell the Thanksgiving story as you know through my eyes or somehow uh, create a Mother's Day play or uh, you know 
imaginative play was always part of uh, my growing up because, you know, it was before the internet. It was before screens were so prevalent and, and it was, it was the fun thing to do. It was a way to, um, it was a way to have fun with each other, to joke around and to, um, and to create something together. So uh, when I got into high school, uh, I had, uh, I went to a public high school and there was a fabulous uh, drama teacher there named Barbara Gensler. And she uh, taught us um, uh, about uh, making theater in a sort of more serious and more disciplined way. She was the first person who put Uta Hagen's book, Respect for Acting, into my hands. And I read that and thought, wow, there really is a method to this. There really is a, uh, a way uh, to think about acting that has a more measured and um, disciplined approach. And so, and I found that incredibly exciting, along with doing all of the high school musicals um, and, and plays. Um, and so when it came time to uh, apply to college, I uh, looked at a variety of places, but Northwestern was really the place that suited me the best, only because I was a pretty good student and I really liked school. I liked writing research papers and I liked um, thinking critically and I liked learning. So I really didn't want to give up that side of my education. I thought going to a conservatory might limit um, what I would learn about the world. And uh, so Northwestern offered a liberal arts degree um, and on top of it, uh, a fabulous conservatory-like training program in theater. So it had everything I, I could have asked for. And I was lucky enough to get in. I studied theater, not musical theater, uh, just straight theater plays. Um, and I did when I was at, uh, but, but I also um, had a musical theater uh, certificate sort of, it was kind of akin to a minor. So you could be a theater major with a musical theater uh, minor. You could be a music major with a musical theater minor. I don't know. I'm, I think maybe it's changed in the years since I've been there. Now I'm celebrating my 25th anniversary. My 25th reunion is coming up this fall uh, at Northwestern. So it, things have changed since I've been there as well. They should. Um, and uh, in my time there, my four years there, I did 17 shows because I couldn't get enough of it. I was just hit the ground running and wanted to perform in every space um, on campus, and I did, and work with every faculty member I could, and I did. And uh, it was exhausting, and it was fun, and I, uh, I I loved every second of it. Gosh, you know, there's so much there to unpack, and like, <laughs> like, like I'm like thinking back to even when you were little, like, like as like a little leader too, like not just mm. like you know performer, but leader, getting everyone together, and how you said it was before the internet. I wonder if you know, in an alternative history, if you'd have would have been like a YouTuber or content creator, you know. You know what? I, I think about that, but I think about how what a solitary existence that is, you know, in front of a screen and you're just by yourself. I'm not sure. I, I was always more interested in having bodies in front of me and people interacting in real time and having a conversation. I'm, I'm still one of those old school people, too, Matthew, who like picks up the phone and calls people <laughs> rather than texts them or or emails them. I would rather have a phone conversation, which, you know, freaks people out who are younger than me. Like if ever I call a babysitter, you know, to check on things. They're like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing, everything's fine. I just, you know, want to have a real time conversation because I'm just, you know, I'm a child of the eighties and we lived for our telephones and, you know, our landlines. And we also lived for our driver's licenses and, you know, getting into the car and, and going somewhere to hang out together uh, at the mall or something. So, 
so yeah. Uh, well, 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 that is a really. I'm really glad you said that still because that's a, that's been a through line of the DFT podcast has been yeah. uh, has been you know the thing about theater is it's something you do in person right. you know and especially after the pandemic you know which you referenced right. and which I would love your perspective on on what that was like is is you know it's time to get back out there to get around people and and you know be safe and if you want to wear a mask if that's your thing no big deal you know but like get out there and and let's go back and let's support the arts because that's a thing that we do in person. Well, I think it's so necessary. I think it's necessary for the human spirit to all get together and to sit alongside one another. And there's, you know, some story, I don't know if it's uh, where it came from, but how your heartbeat sort of synchronizes with the person next to you when you're watching theater together. You know, there's something somewhat um, medieval and tribal and, and you know, uh Mesozoic about you know all getting together and um, sitting there together and all experiencing the same thing at the same time is is really important. I mean, look at I mean we're recording this on the day when uh, they're holding the memorial for for Queen Elizabeth and how many people go and stand up and get there in person just to see her uh, procession or to witness uh, and be a part of this monumental event. It's it's human. It's incredibly human. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, not to fully knock technology because I want to be able to interview you remotely like this without it. Right. Yeah. No, this is really good. This is I'm not, I'm not going to knock it either. No, this is great. Uh, but 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 essentially, it's like you you basically you've been performing essentially your whole life. You performed when you were a child. You performed in high school. You did 17 shows uh, while you were in college. You know, what what was the next step of your journey? You know, when did you decide to make the plunge, move to New York and do all that? Well, I was a little um, intimidated by New York. When I graduated from college uh, at Northwestern, I uh, thought I should get some life experience and skills first before I dove into to New York City because it was a big place. I, it was unfamiliar to me uh, and I was a little scared. So I stayed in Chicago and worked at the Marriott Lincolnshire Theater. Uh, I did five shows there. I got my equity card. I made a bunch of mistakes. I also had a bunch of uh, uh, triumphs. Um, I managed to keep working. I managed to pay my rent with uh, with uh, what I earned and uh, learned uh, what it was like to do eight shows a week versus just be a student and do, you know, a weekend of musicals here, a weekend of musicals there and like how to sustain that and, and how to take care of myself and and how to show up and, and do the job. Um, and how different audiences can be, you know. So uh, I loved my time uh, working at the Marriott, and um, and then in I, I I sold my car and I saved all my money and I moved to New York City in the summer of 1999. And um, I guess my first Broadway show was in 2001. I joined the company of uh, the Full Monty which was a show that had been in production for about a year. And I joined the company a, a year into its run and I was a swing. So I got to sit out and watch the show about half the time and be in the show about half the time. And that was highly uh, educational too, because I got to see what it was like from the audience's perspective. And then I also got to be inside of it and see what it was like from the onstage perspective too. I mean, it's it's a it's a thrilling and terrifying and um, adrenaline inducing experience to be thrown on at the last minute. Um, although I had great stage management uh, 
personnel helping me out and 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 guiding me through it. And it was really there were there were no mishaps. There were no you know uh, things lost or missed or you know all that kind of stuff. So, but um, but from from a an, a theater artist's perspective, it was great to sort of have the vantage point of of, of both of those uh, sides being in it and then and then watching it so frequently. I'm a real fan of that show. I think I think that opening number. I don't know if you know Full Monty the musical. That opening number is one of the most perfect opening numbers ever written for a musical ever ever ever. It's awesome. And for the kids, when you're older, you could you could ask your parents to go see yes. uh, Full, Full Monty. <laughs> this is the Deerfield Family Theater podcast, but don't That's worry, right. we've, we've had plenty of talk of of some uh, more adult things when the when the kids are older. But if you especially especially if you're in musical theater, if you're in theater, you're going to get exposed to a lot of concepts a lot sooner than maybe you would elsewhere if you're a, well, especially if you're a performer. But the Full Monty really is a story uh, about friendship. Mm-hmm. It's about best friends supporting one another and and helping each other through a tough time. That's really at the heart of it. And and I like that part of the story uh, so much because it, especially um, friendship between two grown men, you know, which ne- doesn't necessarily show up in musicals all that often. It's usually a romantic story mm-hmm. or a story of a young person persevering through something. But this is uh, two guys helping each other out and, and um, celebrating their friendship. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, if I didn't have so much more that I still wanted to learn from you, that would be a perfect segue into a romantic sort of journey of a young person's journey because that kind of defines big fish. So I don't know, maybe we should take mm-hmm. that, right? Like some sure. a young person's journey, but then also a romantic, you know, story. So, uh, so skipping over a little bit, eventually, you know, you uh, you land the uh, uh, the leading lady role in uh, in Big Fish, Sandra Bloom. What may, maybe talk about you know the journey of up to getting that role and what that was like before we actually talk about. Uh, we talk about the musical. Well, uh, well, then we'd have to talk about uh, Finian's Rainbow, which was a show that I did on Broadway in 2010, 2009, yes, 2010. Uh, that was a revival of a 1947 musical by Yip Harburg and Burton Lane and Fred Sadie called Finian's Rainbow. And it is a show that has a bunch of quirks in it, but a gorgeous score and a really wonderful heart. We did it at uh, a series in uh, New York called the Encore series, um, which presents musicals uh, in more of a concert form. So we carry our scripts and there's a full orchestra on stage. And so we're really celebrating the fullness of the score. That's what it's all about uh, first. And then it's second uh, come the scenes and the choreography and, and, and everything else. So, so it was a perfect show for Encores to do. And then uh, it was such a hit at Encores that producers uh, picked it up and decided to move it to Broadway. And it ran on Broadway for about three months, um, which is not long enough, but uh, garnered fabulous reviews. And I got a Tony nomination from it and it changed my life. And when it came time to cast the role of Sandra Bloom in Big Fish, someone on the creative team said, you know, who'd be great at this because I saw Infinian's Rainbow, it would be, it would be Kate. So I got, I got to invited to be a part of a developmental reading of Big Fish, which was just a two week uh, rehearsal process with a couple of presentations at the end where we again had held our scripts at music stands and presented the score and the scenes uh, in front of an invited audience of investors and producers and designers and friends. Um, and that went pretty well. I think that was in 2012, 2011. My son had just been born. My son was born in 2011. 
Um, so I remember still being in the haze of motherhood and, uh, and doing and playing Sandra Bloom. So I, I was invited to be part of it and uh, saw it through its development there and came to Chicago with it in um, the spring of 2013, is that right? And then we did it on Broadway in the fall of 2013. Do I have those dates correct? I think I do. I, I think you do. And I'm trying to think back to maybe when I saw it in Chicago and maybe I did see your performance. If you went downtown and we were doing it there, that was me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have family who um, they have uh, they have season tickets to Broadway in Chicago, and they knew I was such a big fan of the movie that yeah. I, I think it might have been 2013 when I went to see it. So it's very possible I did see your performance. Yeah, I, I never went out. I never called out. So yes, if you saw Norbert, you saw me. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, I, yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and try. I, I keep all my playbills, so yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and find it and and yeah. confirm. Uh, so uh, wow. Yeah. That that's. That's really something. And, and it just you sort of I, I think it shows you, especially to the younger listeners that, you know, never say no to opportunity, you know, to be mm. in something, too, because mm-hmm. you never know who you're going to meet as part well, of a performance or something. That's right. One thing builds on another. And as long as you're doing your best work and you are a person who is easy and fun to work with and smart, um, that opportunity will likely lead to another one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So then, uh, so then you uh, you you get this. Uh, you 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 know you're performing the story. But let's talk. Let's talk about Big Fish a little bit. Sure. So so you know. I mean, if you could count how many times you know you performed it. Well, just like Pinion's Rainbow, Big Fish only lasted for about three months on Broadway. Oh. Sadly. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, I but but if you string you know Chicago and Broadway together, it was probably about six months, seven months, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it has had this incredible life afterward. You know, so many schools, universities, high schools, uh, and community theater groups um, pick up Big Fish because it is such a it's a moving and touching story about how you can invent your life and and the control you the things you can control and the things you can't, and it plays with the idea of dreaming uh, and making your life maybe bigger than what it could be perceived as. But at the heart of it all is your family and the people who love you and the people you would do anything for. So I, I think it's a tremendous um, uh, sort of universal story, which uh, can can reach a lot of different people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm not surprised great. it has had, I'm not surprised that it has, it has had this really large life beyond its Broadway uh, iteration because, uh, um, you know, we, th- we all thought when we were making it weird that we were doing something pretty special, you know, talking about a, a family dynamic and, um, and a man's imagination that, that touched so many. Uh, so if you don't know the story of big fish, uh, it's a, it tells the story of Edward Bloom, who, uh, is, uh, uh in Alabama. Um, and he has a life as a salesman and he, uh, invents big fish stories. And he tells these tall tales uh, instead of saying, you know, I met a really tall guy. He says, I met a giant. Or instead of, uh, you know, or I met a witch and she told me how I'm how I'm going to die. So I'm not afraid of anything. That's the whole sort of premise of his of, of his opening. He says, I, I know how I'm going to die. I don't go this way. So I, So it releases him from being scared of anything. But um, his son, Will, doesn't quite uh, buy what his dad is selling, uh, doesn't appreciate his father's um, gift of the gab or his, or his 
tendency to um, embellish and storytell that other people find so charming. Will does not find it so charming. Will wants the facts. He wants to know exactly what's going on in his life, in his father's life. And Sandra, as the mother and wife, is sort of caught in between these two people who she loves so dearly. And um, when I was thinking about her, since I'm a, a Midwestern person who's fairly direct in how I communicate, I had to think about uh, a Southern woman because that's where she's from. She's she at Auburn University. She's from Alabama. And I modeled bits of her on one of my dearest friends from college, actually, who grew up in a small town in Georgia and is an ex-beauty queen. And what she, what, how she would communicate with the world versus how I would do it. Uh, and it boils down to you catch more flies with honey, you know, that kind of uh, steel magnolia, uh, you know, a, a backbone of, of, of steel and, but with all the softness that comes around it in order to be convincing and, and, and win people over to your side. Um, so I really actually even gave my script to her and said, will you read these lines for me? And just to hear her voice and to hear how she would do it um, versus my own, you know, Wisconsin flat accent <laughs> and my, and my very direct uh, Midwestern way of approaching things. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that just uh, also goes to show how important it is to have life experience and to, uh, yeah. to meet people. Yeah. Right? What, or if you don't, yeah. Or if you don't have life experience, if I, if I don't have a way to relate to that, find the person who does, or I often get experience or I get inspiration from paintings or music or uh, other art or nature, you know, and if you have, a, if you've, if you've developed your imagination enough to figure out what would it be like to live inside that painting? What would those, how would that person move? How would that person talk? What, what's the point of view of that person? You can, you can go really far with that. And that's the fun of creating a story, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's, uh, now I, I'd love to get your perspective on the world shutting down when, uh, when COVID mm -hmm. happened and the pandemic happened as somebody who's so steeped in it, you know, mm -hmm. what was that experience like? And maybe if you could also share some anecdotes of some other people who, you know, in the industry, what that was like for them too. Yeah. Gosh, it was devastating. It was just awful. We, uh, uh, the day everything shut down, March 12th, 2020, I was working back at city center doing another encores production. We were, this time we were doing, uh, a musical uh, called Love Life, written by Kurt Vile and Alan J. Lerner, that has never been revived. And we were really excited about giving it uh, a concert version here in New York because there's so much interest surrounding this show because it was uh, forgotten after it, it premiered in, I think, also 1947, strangely. Um, uh, and then, so we understood in the morning that... Uh, Broadway shows were going to shut down that night. And so by lunch hour, um, our managers, our producers came in and said, we're not going to do this. Uh, we're not going to continue on, but we were still in the rehearsal room. And so we just ran the show for ourselves. We did an afternoon performance of Love Life <laughs> just for us, <laughs> uh, just so that we could, so that everybody who had been working in various rooms, because it was a giant cast, there was a dancing a component, it was music component. So I, I, as the leading lady, hadn't seen uh, at least half of the show. And so we sat, I got to sit there and watch the show and watch my friends knowing that we would never do it. 
for an audience, for, for a bigger audience, uh, and not knowing just how long this pandemic was going to stretch before us. And I think back to that time, it just takes my breath away because uh, we, we just didn't know, know anything. And it, I love that we did that run for ourselves, for each other, and delighted in it. We cheered each other. We laughed. We cried. We had a great time. And then we went across the street to the bar and had pizza. <laughs> and then we all went home and uh, stayed home for two years. So uh, the pandemic was rough. It was, uh, it, it, I, I, there were moments where I despaired. I'll, I'll be really honest about it and um, wondered how to proceed. There were a lot of Zoom um, opportunities with concerts and things like that, but it's not the same. Um, I did a bunch of Zoom teaching, teaching um, singing. Um, I was a full-time school teacher to my child who was in third grade at the time. Uh, he needed me more than, uh, more than anything so that he got my attention and rightly so. My husband uh, was doing audiobooks at the time. We have a setup in our home where he can engineer and record his own audiobooks, And thank goodness that um, work kept sustained us basically for the, for the time. And then slowly but surely I started doing outdoor concerts. We, we would um, sing outside for, for masked um, audience members. And then I got an idea about, oh gosh, maybe um, the fall of 2020 about trying to help other uh, institutions. I thought to myself, well, who's really struggling here? It's the not-for-profit theaters all across the country that I worked at before. I, I've done six Broadway shows, but if in, in 25 years, I've worked at countless regional theaters. And most of these theaters, all of these theaters are not-for-profit. They are donor uh, supported and they serve their communities. And I thought to myself, what's what's more important than serving your community in this moment? And so I laser focused in on one of those theaters and it's called the Skylight Music Theater and it's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I decided that uh, that, was, that was the place that I went to when I saw musicals when I was a kid. And the, just like every other theater in, uh, in the nation, they were struggling. And so I, I was talking with the artistic director, Michael Unger there, who's a friend of mine. And I said, well, should I do a concert? We could film it. What could we do? Blah, blah, blah. Try and figure it out. And that idea of doing a concert there evolved into um, doing a, an hour-long program, an hour-long, what has ended up being a film, which is part concert, part documentary, where I decided to sing 10 of my favorite songs in their beautiful theater. We turned the cameras around so you could see the empty, uh, beautiful Cabot Theater with its all its glory. And then uh, the other half of the film is where I go and talk to my teachers. I go and talk to a former dance teacher. I, I highlight um, my drama teacher who I talked about earlier in this um, podcast, Barbara Gensler, who passed away in 2017. Uh, I speak with her widower and visit my high school and do a master class with students there and uh, pay tribute to the people and the places that made me the artist I am today. And that, um, it, it all came together and was released um, September 9th uh, and streamed from the um, Skylight website and all proceeds go to 
benefit the skylight. And it has been a huge success. I've heard from so many friends uh, and family and colleagues who have watched uh, the broadcast, but um, I called it Broadway Comes Home because I'm very interested in where artists come from and what their story is, kind of like what you're trying to highlight here on this podcast. How did you get to where you are? And also I wanted to um, emphasize that art happens everywhere, that great theater and great storytelling don't just take place in New York City or in Chicago or in LA, um, that communities are doing this all across the country and, and artists are born and bred and cultivated in great American cities all throughout this nation. And there are wonderful institutions like the Skylight uh, that uh, are a home for them. And maybe by watching Broadway Comes Home, uh, you'll turn around and, and support your local um, theaters and get involved and maybe buy a subscription or maybe um, recognize the talent that's on the stage and behind the scenes there in your own hometown. Yeah, that's definitely something I will find to link to uh, in the show notes so that everyone can go, our listeners can go give that a watch and support their uh, their local theater. I think that's really great. That was a great way to uh, take a terrible situation and try to make some good out of it. Yeah, and my hope is that uh, we will be able to continue to stream it. Unfortunately, it'll be done on September. It was done yesterday, September 18th. was oh. the window of time. Um, but maybe we can come back for a, an encore performance. Who knows? We, we might be able to show it again, maybe around holiday time. We're, gonna, we're in talks about that. And, um, and my hope too, is that maybe there are other colleagues of mine who would like to feature their hometowns. Uh, and I could help them uh, and, and produce a series called Broadway Comes Home. And we can get artists who go off to their hometown in you know, Colorado or Ohio or Alaska or Florida and, and Texas. And, and we see artists going home and um, paying tribute uh, to their teachers and the places that made them who they are. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's uh, that's great. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll try to reach out to our connections, too, you know, through uh through the community and, sure. uh, and, and see about that. I, um, yeah. So, um, so some, some questions I'd like to ask of, of all our guests are, um, just, uh, you personally, uh, as a patron of, uh, of theater, musical theater, you know, uh, what's been maybe some of your favorite shows that you've, you've been able to, uh, to just sit in the audience and enjoy and you don't have to pick favorites. You can pick a few, you know, <laughs> sure. Oh gosh. There are so many, you know, uh, I've seen I've seen so many. The one that comes to mind that I, I always uh, mention is there is a production of A Doll's House, the Henrik Ibsen play, uh, that starred Janet McTeer in the uh, late '90s on Broadway, and she, in my estimation, reinvented the role of Nora. Um, it was always I had a, a pictured that part as a certain way in my mind, and she just sort of blew the walls right off of it and did everything differently. And I thought to myself, wow, that's the power of a great storyteller with a great script. The, the script will support her choices and she had the freedom and the imagination to do something completely wildly different with it. And I loved, loved, loved it. And then uh, it's it's kind of like picking your favorite child, especially somebody like you who's performed in, in so many shows. 
so maybe just you don't have to say your number one, but what are maybe some like your top few uh, performances that you've done personally? Mm. Well, uh, in terms of a show that I found great meaning and great pride in the in the art that was created, I'm going to pick Giant, which was a musical I did in 2012 uh, at both the Dallas Theater Center and at the Public Theater in Manhattan. The score is by one of my favorite composers, Michael Don Lacusa, who's written, uh, who is a very prolific uh, writer who's been nominated five times for best score for Tony, Tony Awards. Um, uh, and Giant is based upon uh, an Edna Ferber novel. And also there's a, a film by the same name that stars a very young, a very beautiful Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson and uh, James Dean. But um, a Giant is an epic story about uh, a marriage um, set in Texas. Uh, and it covers, I think, 45 years of a, of a time. And it has as much to do with how society is changing and how the land is changing and how America is and Americans are grappling with uh, change. So um, Giant uh, for, for meaning. But for pure fun and entertainment, I'm going to go with Hello, Dolly, because Hello, Dolly uh, ran from 2017 to end of 2018. So I did it for about, I don't know, almost almost two years. And it starred the great Bette Midler and David Hyde Pierce. And my friend Gavin Creel and I got to play opposite one another as Cornelius Hackle and Irene Malloy. And uh, we got to do one of the great scores, one of the great, I call it a, a charm ball. It's just a charm ball of a musical. It's perfectly constructed. It was, it was lovingly restored and designed by, um, by Jerry Zaxx and Santo Laquasto and uh, Andy Einhorn and uh, Warren Carlyle. We just had a terrific team um, who, who, who brought forth everything that was fun and great about that story and about that particular time. So, um, that was the most fun I've ever had on, on, in a show was Hello Dolly. Uh, wow. So, uh, all of our list, our longtime listeners will know that I interviewed somebody from our, our library, the Deerfield uh, public library, and they have incredible theater resources. So I wonder if, you know, our, uh, you, you know, residents in the area will be able to find like giant and, and something, you know, from Hello Dolly to read or, or watch or, or listen to uh, just at the, at the library. But I'm sure we'll have we'll have stuff for, for our listeners who are in the Deerfield area uh, to, to go find that. That would be it's also easy great. to find giant the recording, you know, on Apple Music or on Amazon Music or wherever you find music, too. So yeah. there's a there's a digital uh, every and, and Hello Dolly as well. You know, all those recordings. Great. Uh, we we did have I did have a debate of uh, uh, with one of my guests and fellow board member in our our better know a board member series of uh, uh, if it's okay to listen to the music before seeing the show. Ooh, so what you know? What I do you think, think yeah. Um, when I studied uh, at Northwestern, I took an, a course in opera, and I I dabbled for a while. I thought I had to be an opera singer, and I always would listen to the score of an opera before going to see it. So that I would know what I, so I had some context and some frame of reference for what I was hearing live um, to understand it a little bit better. Because oftentimes operas are uh, written in other languages too. So I needed, I needed that. Um, but in terms of musical theater, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have an opinion on it either way. I think it's, I think it's great to listen to it beforehand or, or enjoy it afterward or, or go back and, 
and note what was different and what was unexpected or what, what was especially delightful. I, I, I don't have a preference either way. Okay. All right. Uh, and then with, with that, as tempted as I am to ask you to sing something, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but uh, if, if, you know, if you have any, any cool things coming up that you wanted to talk about to let our audience know, uh, we'd, we'd love to learn more. Oh, sure. Well, um, I think once, uh, you know, at this moment when we're recording this, I'm doing a production of 42nd Street right now at, at the Good Speed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut, playing Dorothy Brock. And it's super fun. It's just what we need right now, a, a tap dance show to lighten your load and lift your spirits and make you laugh. Um, and I have a concert coming up uh, at the in, in December at, um, at the 92nd Street Y uh, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Uh, the title of it is Miss, and that sort of meaning in that title is twofold. Miss is a, how you would address a woman. So we are featuring the female composers and lyricists for the Broadway stage. And Miss uh, also refers to what you may have missed, who has fallen through the cracks of our consciousness when we think about the tastemakers and the, um, the legendary artists who created Broadway shows. Where were the women and who is missing from our timeline? Uh, and sort of putting a, a spotlight on them. That's great. Uh, well, uh, if uh, if somebody wants to find out more information about that, do you have like a website or something where people can go I to? I do. To, yeah. I do. I'm kate-baldwin.com. That's me. Okay, great. Uh, probably go and update it right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you time before we hear Thank the episode. You. Thank you. <laughs> link, link in the in the show notes. Uh, and uh, uh, Kate Baldwin... It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the DFT podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's our show. Please share this podcast to help support the work of Deerfield Family Theater. An even better way to support DFT is to go see Big Fish this weekend. Visit DeerfieldTheater.com to purchase tickets. As always, links are in the show notes. If you'd like to get in touch, send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash DFT. We might even add your voice message to a future show. Until next time, thanks to everyone who continues to support the arts. We'll see you at the theater. <laughs>